from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. So take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. We will be in verse 31 as we get started this morning. In verse 31, Jesus is going to begin his teaching. And, and really, uh, John, the end of John 13 all the way to John 17 is just an extended discourse of Jesus teaching his disciples. And up until this point, the disciples have been with Jesus every single day. They've, they've been beside him. They've done all of this. And He's been, you know, talking about the cross and pointing to the cross and the disciples. Are, the disciples weren't like us. We would have picked up on all the subtleties and we would have understood what was happening. But, you know, it kept going over the disciples' heads. They didn't know what was happening. And Jesus keeps pointing it out, pointing it out. This is what is about to happen to me. They just finished the Lord's Supper, and, and it brings us to the table today. It's a great passage for us to be in this morning as the Lord's table is before us. But Jesus is going to start to teach them one more time about what is about to happen, about what's going to happen when He is not with them, so that they can be prepared and ready to continue on in the ministry after He has left them. But this is what... It said, beginning in verse 31 and down to verse 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So this morning, as Jesus is about to depart and he points to the cross, what we want to see is the impact on the cross and how it intersects with glory, with the disciples, and with the new covenant. So the first thing I want you to notice this morning is the cross and the glory. The cross and the glory. It says at the very beginning, when he had gone out, meaning Judas, Judas has, has now left. And as we are reading through this, we don't think too much about it. Judas gets up and leaves, but Jesus says that his departure was very significant. Because Jesus, Jesus says, now, after Judas has left, Jesus says, now, now that the evil has been purged from the group, now that the false disciple has gone, now starts everything else that's about to happen. The cross, the, the, the trial, the arrest, the beating, all of that starts, Jesus says, with the departure of Judas. 
And it's interesting that he does that. Jesus does not then say, this is what's going to happen. It says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He doesn't say and describe the events, right? He doesn't look at the disciples and say, hey, look, we're about to walk through the garden. We're going to end up in Gethsemane. I'm going to talk to you. And while I'm out there talking to you, there's going to be this band of soldiers led by Judas. He's going to come. They're going to arrest me. They're going to take me down. There's going to be these trials that aren't really trials, and I'm going to be beaten and scourged and flogged and crucified. And he doesn't say that. He doesn't go into great detail about what is going to happen. He just simply says, now that Judas has left, now it is time where I will be glorified, where the Son of Man will be glorified. Glory is so important. And two verses, did you notice that? Did you notice that John, in in writing, you you read the words, glorify, 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 glory, and glory. Five words in two verses. You you, you ever want to know, hey, I wonder how to study my Bible and what's important. If you see a word five times in two verses, it's probably important. Jesus is drawing their attention to the fact that everything that's about to happen Because we can look at everything that's about to happen and we can be really confused by it and not understand it. We have those moments in our lives that happen that we can't comprehend, we can't understand. We try to pick, figure it out and we're like, God, I, I, I just don't get it. And in the context of the cross, Jesus is telling them, you're going to try to figure this all out and what you need to remember is all this is happening so that I can be glorified. Those events that happen in your life, that we can't understand. They're going to bring glory to God. Whether we recognize them or not, they will bring glory to God. Because God glorifies Himself. Jesus glorifies God. The Father glorifies Jesus. It's all about God's glory. A topic which really and truly is inexhaustible. We cannot cover all of God's glory this morning. But he is. He, he is. he is just he is just glory. Peter, when Peter writes later in Second Peter 1.17, Peter calls God the Father majestic glory. That's who he is. It's not part of who God is. He is glory. And when we think about God's glory and how it has been revealed to us. There's kind of two aspects of God's glory I want you to think about. One, we've seen through our Wednesday night study, right, where we've talked about all the perfections of God, where we've talked about His power and His wisdom and His knowledge, His grace, His mercy and love, all, all of these perfections that, that, that are there show us that God is a glorious God. But one of the things that we learned about those perfections, remember the ones that we've been studying for the past, I don't know, I've lost count of the weeks, eight, nine, ten weeks, the perfections that we are called to emulate in our lives, right? The love, the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness, where we are called to be like God, where we're called to obey Him and to do what He has called us to do, where He's called us to live up to His glory. But there's a problem, right? What does Romans 3.23 say? Right? For all have sinned, Right? We've all sinned, and what do we fall short of? His glory. Because we can't be perfectly loving. We're not perfectly uh, faithful. 
And all those attributes and all those perfections that is God, He is perfect in each and every one of those. He is 100% love. He is 100% faithful. But we can't live up to that. We fall short of the glory that is revealed to us through His perfections. And there's another aspect of His glory as well. And the glory is a manifestation of His presence. It's a, it's a physical manifestation of His presence. We go back to the Old Testament, especially the book of Exodus, and over and over and over again, God says, you will see my glory. You will see my glory. How, how do you see God's glory? How do, how do we see anybody's glory today? I mean, I think the easiest way to see somebody's glory today is, a, you know, I guess in the business world, if they get a promotion because they did a good job, well, you see their glory, they've, they've been elevated. You can see their glory. I, I, don't, I don't know who it was, so it, this is one of those things that just kind of came to me, but there's been a video clip in, in Christian circles about someone, uh, I guess he was the kicker for whoever won the Super Bowl last, last year. I don't remember who that was or a couple years ago. But he kicked for Georgia Tech. And then he went to the Super Bowl, and I guess he kicked the game-winning field goal in the Super Bowl. And in that moment, you, you see his, his glory, right? You, you see the kicker's glory. Where, how was it? He kicked the football through the uprights. And, and the point of his conversation was, talking about the pandemic of loneliness, he said, hey, you know, many of you are going to attain to wealth and power. And he said, instead, get married and have kids, which fantastic message. But sometimes we can see human glory. How do you see God's glory? How do you see God's glory? Well, in the Old Testament, again, it was easy, right? There was a cloud. There was a a devouring fire. You could see God's glory. His, His glory led them at night. His glory, he said to Moses and the people, when, when my glory shines down in the tabernacle, the light shines down, you know that my glory is with you, that my presence is with you. And they could, they could see His glory. How do we see His glory today? Well, Scripture has an answer for that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Did you catch that? Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. How, how do we see God's glory now? We, we see it through Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who came and, and He lived the perfect life, right? All, all of the perfections of God, Jesus lived. Where we are sinful and we can't, what does it say about Him? He, he was tempted, but He did not sin. So he doesn't fall short of God's glory. And at the same time, in not falling short of God's glory, he reveals his glory to us. And John, in writing, says that there is going to be one particular act that displays God's glory above all others, and it's the cross. 
And Jesus makes it clear. He, now is the time for him to be glorified. It's going to be at the cross. As one person said, the supreme moment of divine self-disclosure, the greatest moment of the displayed glory, was in the shame of the cross. And that's what Jesus says, right, in verse 32. Now the Son of Man is going to be glorified. God is going to be glorified. And God is going to glorify Jesus. Everybody's going to look at the cross. And they're going to see shame. And they're going to see blood. And they're going to see just a horrific sight. And they're going to try to reconcile all of what they've been taught with what they're seeing. And what they need to see is God's glory. Because that's what the cross is. And Jesus says it's going to happen now. Not that it's a, a possibility, but it's a divine reality. God is, getting, God is going to be glorified. And He's going to be glorified at the cross. But why, again, why the cross? Right? I mean, uh, this is one of those questions that everybody has asked down through the, the, the years, and those who don't believe ask the question, why on the cross? Why on the cross? Why on the cross? Why on the cross? Well, at the cross, we see the fullness of all His perfections in one visible sign. Right? The cross, at Jesus' death on the cross, we see God's love, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His faithfulness, His humility, His righteousness, all of His perfections on full display. We see the visible sign of God's glory. And the cross said that this visible sign of God's glory where all His perfections are on display was done for you. It was done for me. And the cross then drives us to worship. It compels us to give God the glory that is due Him because the cross says this is how much God loves you. And no other person no other person in the universe loves you as much as God does. It's just our love for, even if it's husband or wife or children, there is no comparison. There absolutely isn't. Because, well, again, we don't want to think about it. We're, we're not really willing to die for the sins of others. We're not willing to die for someone else to make that sinner righteous. Yet that is exactly what radiates out from the cross. God's saying, I'm willing to die for you. I'm, I'm willing to, to do this for you. This is how much I love you. That's why when Paul writes in Galatians 14, he says, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that we can boast in. Because it is where we have our salvation. It is where Jesus humbled Himself even to the point of death on the cross so that God would be glorified, so God would glorify Jesus, so that the mission that Jesus was sent would be completed. And in doing that, save me and save you. And in the end, the cross and all that, that, that transpires on it, and my salvation and your salvation and the salvation of everybody else, it's all about glory. I joke 
you know, sometimes saying that, you know, your picture on the front of, of God's refrigerator door, right? But your salvation, and, and I, I say this, I, I don't want to puff you up too much this morning. But your salvation brings glory to God. And that glory comes about because of the cross. You cannot disassociate glory from the cross. So Jesus says, when you see me at the cross, I want you to think glory. But secondly, there's an extended conversation between uh, Jesus and the disciples. And again, he points to the cross and the disciples. Because Jesus is telling them, look, our, our relationship is about to fundamentally change. Right? Look at verse 33. Because he tells them, yet a little while I will not be with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I'm going. You cannot come. That there's, there's coming a time where I'm not going to be with you. So he looks at the disciples, and in this amazing term of endearment, looks at them and goes, little children. Now, let's, let's be honest. We use that term <laughs> when we're talking to adults, and we want to call attention to the way that they behave and saying, you're acting like a child. Right? That, that's not what this is. This, this is a, a, a beautiful term of endearment that only comes from the, the, the Apostle John's pen. Oh, this is the only time in the Gospel of John that he uses it again in 1 John. But Jesus looks at him and says, little children, listen to me. I care about you. Because what he doesn't want is after he is gone for them to think that Jesus has abandoned them. Right? It's a good question for us to ask this morning, is it not? I'm sure that there's been some time in our lives where you're going, man, Jesus has abandoned me. Has he? I've got a whole bunch of Scripture that says he hasn't. And this is Jesus looking at his disciples, looking at us today and going, look, I'm not going to be here, but please understand, I'm not going to abandon you. The relationship with the disciples is about to fundamentally change because His presence isn't going to be with them, right? There's, there's not going to be any more walking beside Him. There's not going to be any teaching. There's not going to be any sitting at His feet. That, that, that's what's going to change. There's not going to be a physical, bodily Jesus there beside them. And He's saying to them, little children, my dear ones, my beloved, I'm not about to abandon you. You're going to see the cross, and you're going to see me going to the tomb, and you're going to think, that's it, it's over. And, and it's not. I, I, I'm, I'm not going away. Remember, it's about glory. Everything that's about to happen is going to be about glory. He says to them, I want you to know something. I want you to know about what's getting ready to happen when I go to the cross. And you see this in a bunch of news, Right? And the first thing is he gives them a new commandment. He gives them a new commandment in verse 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, if you're like me, the first thing that you do is you read that and you go, doesn't really seem new, does it? You know, I, I, I've read, uh, we've read the Gospel of Matthew. We've read some other parts in, in John. We, we've kind of seen this whole, you got to love, this, this idea of 
of love. In fact, we even think about Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. We think about Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're sitting here going, I don't really see how this is a new commandment. Well, it becomes a new commandment because there's a new standard. Look at what Jesus attaches it to, right? We pay attention to the first part, but that second part is equally important. A new commandment that I, that I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. Do you see the new standard? Love one another just as I loved you. Now, in the immediate context, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the foot washing, where he humbled himself and he got down. Nobody else would wash the stinky fisherman feet, so he gets down and he washes their feet. And when we looked at that, we, we were clear to, to make it or, or made it clear that the foot washing is pointing to the, the humility and the service and, and the love on the cross. Jesus' love, yes, he humbled himself to, to wash their feet, but the greater humility is going to come at the cross. And so Jesus now says, look, the love that you display for one another is found in and based in my love for you. It's only because Jesus loves us that we can love. Right? We love because He first loved us. And Jesus says, look, this becomes the standard. It, it's really important as you, as, you, as you think about this. And think about what Christ did for us. The sacrifice He made for us. Again, go to your list of people you would willingly sacrifice yourself for. It's a short list. Jesus says, based on the sacrifice I made for you, based on the fact that I loved you to the point of death, and I was willing to do that, that's the standard. It's a hard standard, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard. That, that sacrificial love. Right? What, what, what was, you, you look through the disciples you can look at our lives. Look at your life. Look at mine. What is it about my life, the life, your life, the life of the disciples that said that Jesus went and said, you know, because you are, because you will do, because of what you can give, because of what you offer the kingdom, because of just the, the, your, your personality, I'm going to go to the cross for you. We don't read that anywhere in Scripture, do we? Because we're reminded that the sacrifice that Jesus makes to set the standard is done knowing that there was nothing in us that compelled Him to do that. So the love that we're ordered to display to one another means that we're willing to sacrifice 
Even if, and I'm not saying that there's anything in you that I wouldn't want to sacrifice for, but it's not based on who you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's not a love that says, I'll love you because maybe in the end you can do something for me. It says the love that we have, the standard we have now, is based in a sacrificial love for one another. And so with that new standard, Jesus is really instituting, do you notice there's a, a new community? Now, we need to understand this very clearly. Where Jesus says, again, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is given to the church. Okay? Right? This is not a command to go and love the world. This is call to love one another who are Christians. And the reason I read that, pas- that passage from Leviticus, right? That says you are to love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Right? You want your neighbor to mow their yard so you keep your yard mowed. Greatest benefit of living at the end of a dead-end road is I don't care what my neighbor's yard looks like. I can mow it when I get to it. Y'all can come down and mow it if you want to. Um, right, but do you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I, I don't want to play music, you know, blaring at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't want my neighbor to do that, so, so I, I'm not going to do that. My, my neighbor need, needs help planting the garden, so I'm going to go help, help you know, him plant the garden so that later on, maybe when, when my garden comes in, I got extra tomatoes or cucumbers, they'll come up. You, you know, we understand this love for our neighbor as we love ourselves. All right? Do unto others as you would want done unto you. But that's not what Jesus says. Right? The standard is in the sacrifice of the cross through which we have salvation. So we're supposed to exhibit this type of love, this self-sacrificing love that places us underneath the need of our brothers and sisters in Christ inside the church. It doesn't get rid of evangelism. It doesn't get rid of, of taking care of the poor and showing... It doesn't get rid of anything, any of that. What it does is focus in our attention on how we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, love each other. Right? It is not, I love Greg like I love myself. It is, I love Greg as God has loved me. It's bigger. It says as the community, we love one another. And we do this in all kinds of ways, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's been kind of a turbulent past three weeks at Red Bank. It's not been easy. It's impacted some more than others. And you have loved those families well. You served them. You, you changed your plans. You cooked meals. 
You wrote cards. You made phone calls. You went to visit. You loved well. You sacrificially loved your brother and sister in Christ as Christ loved you. We, we, we love each other by, by giving each other the benefit of the doubt to think the best of the person around us. We, we love each other well and demonstrate the sacrifice when we put our needs or wants secondary so that we can help someone in a difficult time. It's a self-sacrificing love. And Jesus says that when you do this, when you exhibit this, this new commandment based on the new standard and the new community, He said, I'm giving you a new sign. He said, this becomes a sign. The love that we display inside of Red Bank becomes a sign that will mark us as His disciples. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? That that's the sign? Notice what the sign is not. The sign is not how well you can pray. The sign is not how much theology you know. The sign is not if you gave the most to the church. The sign is not, you know, if you have the biggest Bible. Who's got the biggest Bible this morning? Just, just, just hold up your Bibles. I'm just, I'm just curious. Who's, who's got the thickest Bible? I'm just trying to see. I don't know. I guess Sandy, because hers is hardback. It's got thick. All right. Think of all. Think of everything that the sign could be. Right? What do we have on top of the on top of the church? Why? Because it says we're what? We're a church. That's not the sign that we're a church. Have you ever thought about that? That's not the sign. Great preaching is not the sign. <laughs> Couldn't let that one go. If you find that here or elsewhere, I don't know. But <laughs> that's not the, the sign is whether or not we love one another. Why? <laughs> because that one's hard. How hard was it to put the cross on the building? Probably not very. If you had the right truck and the right experience, it wasn't hard to put that sign up, that cross up there. How hard is it for me to set aside my ego, my pride that we talked about in Sunday school this morning, set all that aside and love you? <laughs> None of you want to admit how hard it is. That's because y'all are more godly than me. Because that one's hard. And you know what? The world recognizes that that's hard. Why? Because the world is an unloving world. <laughs> and when they see genuine love manifested inside the church building, where believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, are loving one another as, as Christ has loved us, they look at us and go, I see it. I see it. That's what it means. You can take everything else away. You can stick us out in a field. You can stick us in a house. Take away 
all the trappings of Christianity, right? You can even take away Scripture if you wanted to. And if we gather together and we worship Christ and we love one another, that marks us as His and becomes the sign to the world that we belong to Him. With those simple words of love one another. But then finally, I want you to notice the cross and the new covenant. The cross and the covenant. Because the background of all this is the inauguration of the new covenant. They just finished the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is telling them all this, right? And Jesus says, hey, I'm going away. By the way, here's the new commandment. And then Peter, Peter speaks up, asks the obvious question. Peter misses the whole middle part, right? You ever know somebody like that? You know, they just like, hey, what was that middle thing again? Because Peter jumps back to the first part. Hey, where are you going? Where, where, where are you going? Verse 37. Lord, why can I not follow you now? After all, I'm Peter. Right? I'm the one that got out of the boat. I'm not saying they didn't, but I did. You know, I can follow you. I, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I will follow you anywhere. And then he just, he just doubles down, right? These other ten... You got what Matthew? He's still a tax, he's a tax collector. I don't know what he'll do, but Jesus, I'll lay my life down for you. I, I I will lay it down for you. I'll go wherever. I'll pick up my sword. I'll fight the battles. I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. And then Jesus looks at Peter, and if you're counting, it's the twenty-first. Truly, truly, he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times." looks at Peter and says, really, Peter? Not only will you not die for me, but just in a few short hours, you're not even going to confess me as Lord. Right? It's easy. And the secure, it's easy this morning, the security of the four walls of the church, saying, oh, I'll die for Jesus, right? It's quite different in the dark, surrounded by hostile enemies, before the powerful people of the day to, to look and say, hey, I'll die for Jesus. But that's what Peter says. He says, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, no, you're not. But the answer, the reason that that Jesus gives that answer, he's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you know, first of all, stop being so arrogant. Stop being so proud. You're going to fall. But he also does this. There's another reason. And it has to do with the question that Jesus asked. He says, will you lay down your life for me? Now, church history tells us, this is a great story about Peter's death. How many knows the, 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 the historical or the church tradition of Peter's death? Okay, You know about the part where he's crucified in Rome upside down, right? Do you know what was supposed to happen before then? Have you heard that part of the allegory or the story or whatever it is? Supposedly, Peter is leaving Rome. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's been sentenced to death. So Peter decides, like all of us would do, we're going to leave Rome. So Peter is, is, is leaving Rome. He's walking down the street. And it is said that as Peter is walking down the street, he has a vision of Jesus where Jesus is speaking to him. 
And Jesus, you know, acknowledges Peter, but as Peter is walking this way, Jesus starts walking this way back to Rome. And so Peter looks at him and says, hey, ask the same question. And in the story, Peter asks the same question that he asked here. Where are you going? To which Jesus is supposed to reply, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. Peter has a moment of repentance, turns around, goes back to Rome where he dies. Again, traditionally speaking, upside down on a cross. And when people come and and read this passage, there is foreshadowing there, right? He's going to lay down his life. It, It will happen. We know historically that he does. But what changes? What changes? Because just a minute ago, Jesus told him, Peter, you, you can't. It's not that, you're, that you want to follow me and will fall short. He says, you can't follow me. What happened? How did Peter not have the power in just 12 or 14 hours to stand up for Christ in the courtyard and say, yes, I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of Him. I told Him I would go to my death for Him, so if you crucify Him, nail me to the cross beside Him. What happened when Peter looks and says, no, I don't know Him, I don't know Him, no, I've told you, I don't know Him. So Peter upside down on a cross at the end of his life. Well, what happens is that Jesus goes to the cross. And when Jesus goes to the cross, He inaugurates the promises of the new covenant. Right? The new covenant from Jeremiah 31. You know this. I've read it before. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What happens? What transpired that Peter goes from no, I don't, to yes, I'll die? It is the fact that now there is the new Covenant and part of the new covenant where he says, I will be in their hearts. And Jesus is going to talk to them about this in just a few few minutes. He's going to say, Hey, look, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come, who is going to live in you and give you all the power so that you can't follow me now, but you will be able to follow me later. Peter, you don't have that power just yet, but you're going to have it. Because when we were celebrating the Passover meal, and I took it and I said, here's the bread, this is my body that is broken for you. And I said, here's the wine, this is my blood that is poured out for you. And when I'm saying, I'm going, but now is the time for me to be glorified and God to be glorified. Peter, you don't understand, but you're standing at the precipice of fulfilling, of seeing prophecy fulfilled. And it's going to be in the new covenant so that when I leave my little children, my dear ones, that the Holy Spirit comes and gives you the power 
so that you can live for me, Peter. And the same is true for us today, for believers in Christ. We have that same power that Peter does. It's given to us in the same manner, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The promise of a transformed heart from the new covenant. All of this flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if it was not for the new covenant, if it was not for the cross, again, look at what he says to Peter. It says, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Again, John is the master of irony. It's not just about following to the cross. It's about the strength and the power to follow Him as Lord and Savior every single day of your life. And Peter, you don't have that yet. But when the new covenant comes and you are indwelt, where God is in your heart and He writes His law on our hearts, when God is with us, when every single day as a believer, every step you take, every breath you take, God is with you. And He has given you the power to live out the new commandment inside the new community. It is all because of the new covenant. That is why we can follow and be obedient today. And this morning, whether you knew it or not, in just a few minutes, you're going to affirm that. You're going to affirm that all the power and glory that we have as believers is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you're going to affirm that when we worship together at the Lord's table. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.